Listener Production. During the pandemic, many people have found it more difficult to concentrate and have reported feeling more exhausted at the end of the workday. I think also in, in the area of learning and development, the home setting tends to be far less stimulating than a dynamic environment that we're used to at work. We aren't learning from inadvertently hearing conversations happening around us. So that type of spontaneous on-the-job learning is likely to disintegrate. In remote work settings, we're often dealing with a greater cognitive load, which is basically the, the total amount of mental effort being used by working memory. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. When the concept of remote work became common practice in 2020, it was praised as an effective way of replenishing our mental and physical resources. In theory, there were meant to be fewer distractions from colleagues in a busy workplace, so we could put our heads down and work more effectively in a quieter environment. People initially relished the chance to skip the daily commute to our offices and felt we had achieved the holy grail of better work-life balance. But a few months into the working from home experiment, it became clear that remote working wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Issues arose from not being able to separate our workday from our home life and struggling to switch off at the end of the day, to the lack of incidental office conversation and ease of communication, not to mention having to juggle the constant interruptions at home. The number of work decisions we have had to make has also increased significantly since the introduction of remote work, and as a result, we've had a greater cognitive load to manage. My guest today is Sophie Deutsch, Deputy Editor of HRM, the member publication of the Australian Human Resources Institute. Sophie has researched and reported on the cognitive impacts of remote work and what prolonged periods of working from home could be doing to our brains. Sophie, thanks for joining me on Fast Track. It's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me. What are some of the biggest impacts that remote work is having on our brains? Yeah, so during the pandemic, many people have found it more difficult to concentrate and have reported feeling more exhausted at the end of the workday. They're two of the most significant effects on our cognition. In remote work settings, we're often dealing with a greater cognitive load, which is basically the, the total amount of mental effort being used by working memory before it's been processed enough times for it to pass into long-term memory. So if you think about going into a virtual meeting, there's far more involved in getting set up for that interaction. You want to check that your background's in a presentable state, ensure everyone has access to the VC platform. Then there are often technical glitches, whereas for a face-to-face meeting, you just walk into the room and, and take a seat. And that's something most of us are fairly accustomed to doing. It doesn't really require a whole lot of cognitive effort. We're also naturally giving off and interpreting another person's nonverbal cues, often without consciously attending to them in a face-to-face interaction. And that helps us to infer someone's emotional state and form an understanding of a situation. Compare that to a video call, we don't have as easy access to body language and we're expending a lot more energy in trying to interpret those nonverbal cues that we would naturally pick up on in person. Also, the fact that we can see someone um, on a video call but they're physically separate from us creates this cognitive dissonance where we're holding two contradictory thoughts in our minds at once. So we're having to comprehend seeing someone's absence but our minds also expect 
them to be physically with us. So this all contributes to a phenomenon that's that's taken hold over the last 18 or so months known as video call fatigue or Zoom fatigue. And it's impacting the cognitive load. So all of those things you pointed to there, I could immediately relate to as a facilitator and a coach on and leadership programs I run online. Mm. And just this week I've had 12 people on a call for two full days and the fatigue is phenomenal. We have to do things to try and shift it up. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting, this dissonance between connected but disconnected. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We're also, on top of that, not used to seeing people's faces so close up as we as we would in a video call. And there was a study from Stanford that came out earlier this year. The researchers identified some key factors contributing to video fatigue. And one they discussed, which I thought was interesting, was that when you're seeing someone's face so close up in real life, we would interpret that as being a sign of intimacy or of conflict. So some experts have said that it, it means that we're often in this hyper-aroused state. Mm. And we're also not used to kind of seeing our own faces reflected back at us during a meeting. Yeah. Can I say on that one, I'm so, I've got a post-it note sticker that I sometimes stick over the the screen because I'm so sick of seeing my face. <laughs> I don't look in the mirror normally that often. No, I think, yeah, I mean, people do tend to get distracted by seeing their own faces and most people also, researchers found, feel more self-conscious on camera than in real life. So we're, we're processing all of that during a virtual meeting. Mm. So this cognitive load is really contributing to this idea of fatigue and, and not being able to get through as much as we thought we might be able to get through if we were working from home. Yeah, that's true. And I think as well, the cognitive load is also increased in situations of uncertainty because we're having to rely on working memory to problem solve and make decisions and navigate territory that's quite unfamiliar to us. And we're dealing with a high degree of uncertainty, not just in managing our own arrangement in in working from home, but also on a broader societal level with these constant changes, adjusting to different restrictions and the prospect of lockdown lifting, but not being able to really plan like we previously would prior to COVID. So that uncertainty is also something that really piles on the cognitive load as well. Mm. That makes so much sense to me hearing that described back. But what steps can be taken to help alleviate some of these detrimental effects, this cognitive overload that we're experiencing? Mm. Well, in that study from Stanford that I mentioned, um, the researchers also touched on the limited physical mobility that tends to come with being on a video call. So sitting in front of the video tends to be quite physically constraining. Most cameras have a set field of view, so we often can't move as freely without exiting the camera's field as we would if we were just sitting in the room with people. Or even if, you know, if you're on the phone, you might be walking around or changing positions in the same way that you would if you're, you're sitting together. So creating more physical space between you and the screen just by putting the camera a bit further away or placing it, say, an external keyboard, if that's possible, between kind of you and the computer can give you a bit more breathing space and allow greater flexibility of movement. Yeah, that's such a simple tip. And as mm. I'm talking to you, I can see my face full screen for you. Right? <laughs> Thinking the Staring. same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, this idea of really giving yourself a bit of, of a break from that intensity and yeah. stepping back a yeah. bit, both physically and, and also mentally, as you described before. Mm. Yeah, well, and definitely also just taking frequent breaks from video calls is a recommended partial cure for the mental exhaustion that we can feel. So just making sure that you're, you're getting up and having screen-free time between video calls 
a lot of tech companies are also tweaking their products and offering new ones to try and mitigate the effects of video fatigue. So Microsoft Teams, for instance, introduced a feature called Together Mode, which uses AI to digitally place participants on seats as if you're, you're looking at people sitting together in a lecture hall. And they actually conducted a study last year which measured the brain activity of participants in either a meeting that was held using Together Mode or one where people were, were using Grid View. So just as we kind of normally would with people's faces popping up on as squares on a screen. And the results did show that more mental effort was exerted by participants in the, the grid view condition. So yeah, just often simple solutions like the physical space or changing the configuration of your video conferencing can make a huge difference. I always thought together mode was just sort of a cute little almost emoji style thing, but now <laughs> you're saying that it's going to alleviate my cognitive load to have people sitting in that. I'm going to give it a go. So what other steps are there to alleviate any of these detrimental effects of always being in front of a screen? Well, I think that having a, that video component can be really nice and it helps to build a greater sense of closeness often than a, than a phone call. But I also think it's worth stepping back and really considering whether every meeting needs to have that, that visual element. I think we often just assume that it's 100% necessary for all virtual interactions now, but oftentimes a phone call will suffice and that can be a great way of just helping to conserve those cognitive resources. Okay, that's awesome. And are there any surprising cognitive effects of working remotely? Mm, there was some fascinating research that was published earlier this year looking into decision-making processes. This was a study conducted on 5,000 participants in Spain, Italy and the UK, and the researchers found that people living in an environment with harsher COVID restrictions were likely to make riskier decisions. They also found that those participants were less altruistic, which surprised me to read because I would have thought that harsher restrictions and experiencing the worry and concern of being in a pandemic would have meant people are perhaps more risk averse. Mm. But yeah, there could be many reasons why that result emerged. But one of the study's authors proposed that people felt they were living in this very doom and gloom situation. He said there's this overwhelming feeling that the world's coming to an end. So people opted to benefit today without really thinking about the consequences tomorrow or after effects. That's really, really interesting. So people have drawn very long bows about some of the behaviours that we've been experiencing in COVID and looking after yourself or this idea of protesting or anger. But I'm fascinated by that risk-taking piece. That's really interesting. Mm. How is learning and memory impacted in the remote work setting? This is particularly of interest to me as a leadership facilitator, team facilitator of activities. So yeah, learning mm. and memory, what's the impact? Yeah, well, as we know, COVID's taken a huge emotional and mental toll and research has found that being in a state of anxiety and stress for an extended period can interfere with the production of cortisol, known as the stress hormone. So the level of cortisol will fluctuate naturally throughout the day, but if it's consistently high, particularly going into the evening, um, when we should be winding down, that will likely put stress on our brains. Mm. So there's sort of other term that's cottoned on called pandemic brain or, or brain fog in that state of finding it more difficult to recall information or feeling like your mind's a bit foggier than usual, um, which experts suggested heightened levels of cortisol 
could be contributing to. Of course, video fatigue that we discussed earlier, video calls are sapping a lot of our cognitive resources. That's going to have a ripple effect and impact other parts of cognition, like our ability to retain information. Mm. I think also in, in the area of learning and development, the home setting tends to be far less stimulating than a dynamic environment that we're used to at work. We aren't learning from inadvertently hearing conversations happening around us. There aren't those chance encounters that pop up in our day-to-day. So that type of spontaneous on-the-job learning is likely to disintegrate. And stimulating environments also tend to be better for learning a skill or new information. It's commonly understood that teaching is a really effective way of solidifying new information. So explaining what you've learned to someone else or teaching them a newly acquired skill is going to really help. And that's not to say that it can't happen at home. It's just less likely to. Yeah, well, that would make a lot of sense too for people who are trying to homeschool their children as well, wouldn't it, in the yeah. environments that they're currently in? Well, I'm sure they probably don't think that the home environment's a less stimulating one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so learning and memory and remote work, I think there's a bit of research that talks about the online learning on your own, as much as it's convenient, is not as impactful as in-classroom, dynamic, partnering up, face-to-face learning. We've certainly had to change the way that we work and live and learn. And I'm just curious about this memory piece because last year I was working with a team and one of the members of the team said, I literally cannot remember what happened in August. It was like every day had become the same. And I'm curious, Mm. do you think that there's also sort of a sense of Groundhog Day turning up in a way that means we forget things more readily? Yeah, I would I would think so. I think there's that definitely that feeling of everyday feeling a bit the same and not really being a whole lot of novelty to break up that monotony. I mean, there was something that I referred to, I think, in my piece, which Natalie Ramston is the organisational psychologist who I interviewed for this article about the cognitive impacts of remote work, said that even just small things like changing up your routine in really small ways can make a significant difference and help to kind of think in a bit more of a creative way or just reduce that feeling of of Groundhog Day. So she referred to some research conducted in the Netherlands um, at a university there and they found that just really small tweaks, like even making a coffee in a different way, can sort of help to ease the pressure on the mind a little bit. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yesterday I was co-facilitating and my co-facilitator asked everyone to change something in their environment from Mm. one to another so we could move on to the next sort of part of the learnings. Yeah. I imagine that's the same sort of thinking, like mixing it up so it's not the same as it was before. Yeah, and I think it's often more achievable if it's just those really small tweaks as well rather than coming in and trying to overhaul um, your whole routine or introduce like a really new habit or behaviour that is not necessarily going to stick it's a huge change. And how do you think work will change as a result so that learning and development can flourish in this remote work environment? Mm. Yeah, well, I think remote working in some form is definitely here to stay, but the structure of work and how we complete different tasks will need to evolve. Um, Atlassian's an example of a company that's really thought innovatively about how creativity can still thrive in a, a remote or hybrid setting and, and learning as well. And they're managing employees across the globe. So, Don Price from Atlassian has said that they're reducing the number of meetings actually and instead engaging in creative collaboration through asynchronous communication. So they'll create a document with a bunch of ideas that's then widely 
circulated amongst their employees and people can then process the information on their own terms and in their own time when they feel like they're in their most creative headspace. So they'll still have a meeting to then discuss the ideas, but everyone's already had a chance to create and devise some innovative solutions. Mm. Another idea, which certainly isn't new, but is gaining increasing traction in the current climate is what's known as third spaces. So this is a term coined by a sociologist, Ray Oldenburg, in the 1980s. And if we think about first space as being our home and second space as the workplace, third spaces are those more informal environments. It could be a cafe or a park or a library. And they tend to be conducive to groups gathering together in the exchange of ideas. So many companies are thinking rethinking whether they need you know, the same amount of office space since a considerable amount of their workforce is going to be working remotely for some or all of the time going forward. And a lot of are instead looking at offering these co-working spaces or even a third space within the workplace that might facilitate group conversations. So the idea being that employees can undertake more individual focused tasks at home, but those more collaborative, creative tasks can happen in these third spaces. There's also some really innovative solutions being trialled that incorporate augmented and virtual reality in some form. So it could allow an employee to put on a VR headset and really be immersed in a physical space. You could turn one way to see a whiteboard and interact with colleagues in a way that feels somewhat more natural than a video call might currently. Um, You can break off into different rooms. So that's something we might start to see more of. Mm. That all sounds really possible. I was reminiscing that only three years ago that I was coaching somebody in Asia on the telephone and we weren't using video call or any of the technology that's here. It feels like we've leapt ahead decades in the utilisation of that and that organisations are really thinking about the learner or the, the worker as the client rather than just inventing great tech for the sake of inventing great tech. So, look, Sophie, I have learnt so much today. Have you got any last comments or tips for us that you think would be useful in terms of thinking about the cognitive impacts of remote work and and what we might be doing about it? Mm, I think maybe just another relevant point worth mentioning is around the choice that people have. So as soon as we know that as soon as something's mandated and everyone's forced to work from home because of lockdown, research suggests that that's going to have a very different effect on our cognition and mental health than if it's something that's presented to us as a choice and employees have autonomy. So I think that's a bit of a glimmer of hope that a lot of these negative impacts of remote work, whilst we do need to be taking active steps to try and minimise cognitive load and and the effects of that. But some of these impacts might also start to ease when people have more choice afforded to them and remote working is actually a choice that they're enjoying and embracing in their lives. I think that's such a a salient point because also we won't all be living and working together at the same time. So we Mm. may have different people working at different times in their home base. So Sophie, what an interesting research-packed, evidence-based, interesting conversation. I've learnt so much today. I want to thank you for your time and your research and the articles in HRM magazine, which is available online. It's online and we also have a magazine that comes out monthly, a printed publication. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Margie. It's been really great to chat with you. Oh, pleasure, Sophie. Thanks again. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, producer Tina Matalov, audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. Listener.